All right. So when you walked in, you got a little bottle of ketchup, right? A little ketchup bottle. Each week, what we're trying to do is come up with something that will help you remember that you were created by God, okay, by design, okay? You were designed by God for a specific purpose. And this morning, it's just, you know, we picked a ketchup bottle, because if you remember Heinz uh, ketchup, it's still around, obviously, been around for a long, long time. If you remember the old bottles of Heinz, and there's a little 57 on there. And you say, yeah, Heinz 57, 57 varieties. That's very true. But there is a reason they put the Heinz 57 on that bottle where they did. All right. The 57 was there. So when you turned it around and you, you hit it in that particular place, it would release the, the ketchup more easily. All right. So it was created by people, by design to do that. So when you hit that little 57 spot, it would release the ketchup. I'm sorry, but I was sitting there this morning. I don't know why I was thinking this, but I was thinking about the Heinz bottle and that song, you know, Anticipation. Remember that? Remember that? Remember way back when they had that whole, you know, marketing campaign, anticipation, remember? And they would come out nice and slow and everything. And I thought to myself, can you imagine, all right, that being your slogan now, if you will, like that your, your ketchup is slow, takes forever to come out of the bottle. And that's what they were doing. They would kind of pour it on. They would show you how slowly it comes out and how long it takes. Can you imagine in 2017 that being your marketing strategy? Oh, we have the slowest ketchup in the world. It takes forever to get out of the bottle, right? It would, you, this would not go. The funny thing was I had a little video of the first service. I'm not going to show it this service. It was a little commercial. But the funny thing was when I, when I was talking to people in first service, like the people up here on stage, I said, hi, hi, isn't that funny? You remember that? Remember that marketing campaign? They're like, no. I'm like, what do you mean? They said, that was before my time. I'm thinking, what do you mean? I, well, how, when were you born? Like 1980. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. 1980. <laughs> I didn't get into that. I got saved in 1980, thank goodness. But uh, it's just so funny, you know, for me, that I, the idea of that campaign now is just absolutely ridiculous. So what I want you to do is keep that bottle, all right? Put, you can use it if you'd like to. But for a couple of weeks, just keep it in a place that reminds you that you were created by God by design, okay? You have a specific purpose. Keep all these little trinkets that I'm giving you, put them in one place, line them up at work or whatever else, and, and just remember that God has designed you for a specific purpose. Let's just bow our heads real quick before we jump into this scripture. God, thank you so much for this time. Thanks for the opportunity of bringing us all together here, Lord. We pray that you would truly impact our lives this morning. Help us to open up our minds, to open up our hearts and to realize that you have designed us, Lord God, for a specific purpose. And we pray that you would help us figure out that purpose and that we would, Lord God, use it to build your kingdom. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. If you would, I'm going to be looking at, if you have your Bibles, you can look up at the screen here in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It says this, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing, for, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and they immediately left the boat and their father and followed. It's important that when God calls us, we are ready and we are willing to follow him. Especially as believers in Jesus Christ, when God calls us, we need to seriously be ready and willing to drop everything and follow him. But before that can happen, we need to make sure that we're going in the right direction. If God is calling you and God is calling each one of us at different times, the call gets more specific. But in the future, if you're anticipating God calling you to do something, which he will do, you need to make sure now, right now, that you're going in the right direction. Because going in the right direction is extremely important in life. Years ago, the British, the British agnostic, okay, Thomas Huxley, was, had to leave early from his hotel because he was, you know, going and he's speaking at different locations. So he had to make it from one location to another location. And so he was getting in his carriage, and, and uh, when he got in his carriage, he anticipated that the doorman had already told the carriage driver, this is horse-drawn, the carriage driver, uh, where he was going. So when Huxley jumped into the carriage, he just said to the carriage driver, you need to drive, you need to get going, and go as fast as you can. Okay? Drive fast, is what he said. Drive fast. So the carriage driver just took off, you know what I mean? He's going, he's going. And Huxley, he kind of knew the area. So after a while, he's thinking, but we're going in the opposite direction of the train station. I need to go from the hotel to the train station to get on my train, get to my next speaking engagement. And so Huxley realized they were going in the wrong direction. And so he basically yelled to the driver, do you, do you actually know where you're going? Right? Because train station, there you're going this direction. And the, and the, and the driver basically said, no, sir, but I'm driving as fast as I can. Okay. Well, that's fine, right? That's fine. You're driving as fast as you can, but it doesn't help if you're not going in the right direction. And I think all of us would understand this, this whole concept, especially as Christians. That's how we live our lives sometimes. That's how we live our lives as a culture. And again, Christians do this as well. Sometimes we, we are just like, go, go, go. We are set on this, on this pace. We're going as fast as we can. We're going all out. But we haven't given the time and stopped and given ourselves the time to evaluate if we're actually going in the right direction. So you can get busy doing all kinds of things. The question is, are you going in the right direction? Are you preparing yourself so that when God calls you in maybe a very specific way that you're ready to drop your nets, you're ready to drop whatever it is and just follow him. See, before we know it, life just begins to, 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 to pass us by, but we haven't spent it going in the direction that God wants us to go. And if we're not spending it in doing what God has called us to do and going in the direction that God wants us to go, we're not going to be prepared. We're not going to grow. We're not going to be prepared. As Christians, I think we would all agree all agree that if we truly want to grow, if we truly want to be mature in Jesus Christ, then we need to spend our lives in line with God's design for us. 
Each one of us needs to live our lives in, in alignment with the design that God has for us as individuals and how that plays out in the body of Christ. So this morning, we're, we're going to continue our series by design. And I want to talk about our third purpose, which is grow. Our third purpose. If you have a pen, grab the pen in the seat back in front of you because I want you to take some different notes this morning. I have some questions and I want you to kind of write some of this stuff down. Grace Chapel's foundation is built on two key scriptures, okay? The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandment is found in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Okay, so foundation, first foundation, the great commandment. Then you have the great commission. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Great commandment, great commission, okay? Two key scriptures, two foundational scriptures for Grace Chapel. From those two key scriptures, we have five purposes. We have worship, right? And we have connect, grow, serve, and reach the world. Worship, connect, grow, serve, reach the world. Where do we get those from? From the great commandment and the great commission. So I want you to write that down so you understand, okay? Two key scriptures, five purposes. That is the foundation of the church. If we're doing those five things, if we're focused on the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and we're doing those five things, then we are a balanced church. We are a healthy church. Healthy things grow. So we want to talk about growth this morning. What does that look like? When we think of the word growth in the church, okay, as Christians, the word discipleship is what usually comes to our minds, right? To be, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. So that's the word that we're going to focus on. In the Greek, discipleship refers to any student or pupil or apprentice, okay? So I like that word apprentice. In the ancient world, it's usually associated with people who were who were like followers or devoted followers of any great leader or teacher. So if you go back in time, you'll find that that word disciple used of anyone who's really following after, okay, or, or, or under the responsibility of a great teacher or a great leader. See, like I said, I like the word apprentice here, though, because it means someone who works under the supervision, okay, the supervision and the direction of another. And what it's talking about here is not just someone who is learning, but someone uh, who is doing as well. This is so important when it comes to discipleship. Some people think it's all about just your mind, just your head. Fill my head with all this knowledge. Fill my head with knowledge. That's great. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, then you need to live your life according to the principle of teach and apply. 
Learn and apply. Teach and apply. That's so important. You know, people, again, will think, well, I know I have all this knowledge. I'm really knowledgeable about the Bible. I'm really knowledgeable about this. But if you don't apply it, you don't own it. Learning something is is just part of being a disciple. Applying what you learn is where you really begin to take ownership of your faith. So when, when you're taught something, whether it's at a Bible study or a church or you're reading the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, whatever the case may be, then you're learning that. But then to really own it, you need to apply it to your life. That is, the, that is part of the foundation of who we are. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you have to apply what you're learning. So what does it mean to be a disciple? And what's the difference between just that word disciple, like we talked about in, in the Greek or you know, in ancient times? What is the difference between a disciple and someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, if you look back in history, you'll find that there are people who are disciples of all kinds of things. Okay, all kinds of things, all kinds of people. The question is for us this morning, are we going in the right direction? Were they going in the right direction? You know, the Greeks, for example, they were disciples of philosophy. The Romans were disciples of the law, right? They were they were they were disciples of war. They understood it. They studied it. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they were disciples of systems. They were disciples of procedures. What they would do is they would, they would take the law and they would, they would put one of, the, one of the laws there and then they would, put, they would put rules around the law and they would put rules around the rules so that you would never break the law because they had rules upon rules upon rules because they were disciples, if you will, of systems and procedures. Jesus' followers... We're disciples of a person. We are disciples of a person, the person of Jesus Christ. So, again, to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ, to be a mature follower of Jesus Christ, you need to make sure you're headed in the right direction. In the right direction, because you can get pulled all over the place by all the, 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 the philosophies of this world and the thoughts of this world and the ideas of this world. But you got to ask yourself, Am I preparing myself for what God has for me in the future? Maybe tomorrow's the future. Am I being prepared? Am I being the kind of disciple who is ready to drop whatever is necessary and follow Jesus Christ whenever he chooses to call? Now, to do that, we really need to listen to the voice of God. We talked about being in God's presence, living in God's presence every single day in God's presence. So so if we're going to do this, we need to listen to the voice of God. But that's easier said than done. Right. That, that's really easier said than done. Um, even when we're trying, I was thinking about this as an example, when we're trying to communicate with each other about direction. We sometimes fall short sometimes end up going in the wrong direction, even when we're, we're right, right here. I mean, talking to God and communicating with God and listening to God, it, it takes spiritual maturity as well. But sometimes it's even, it's difficult just interacting with each other. Give you an example. Um, when I drive, I am the driver and the person sitting next to me is using the navigator, right? In most every relationship I have, I'm the driver, they're the navigator. So I was driving back from an event with uh, one of my daughters, Jen, and uh, as we're coming down the road, she said to me, because I'm driving, she's navigating, you need to get off at the next exit. Easy enough. Clear. Get off at the next exit. I start to get off. She says, what are you doing? 
I said, I'm getting off at the next exit. She goes, that's not the, that's not the next exit. The next exit, the next exit. No, you said the next exit. She goes, yeah, the one after this one's the next exit. No, it's not. The next exit's the one I'm getting off. Right? Does that make sense? I, I, I try to tell people, hey, go on, go to Siri and ask Siri what next means. Right? It's the one, look it up. Like, I actually, actually asked Siri what next means, right? It's the one, the one that's directly in front of, right? So even when you're talking to each other, right? When we're communicating with each other about direction, sometimes we end up going in the wrong direction. So we need to make sure that we are tied into, we are listening to the voice of God. So we're going in the right direction. Okay, so what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What, is that, what does that look like in our everyday lives? First, a true follower of Jesus Christ is not focused completely, okay, focused on just directions to the afterlife, to heaven. You know, sometimes as Christians, and I have non-Christians sometimes confront me on this, they say, you know, what problem I have with Christians is that they're always thinking about the, when they die. They're not thinking about now, how they live their lives now, what they're doing now, and, then take, and embracing the now, right? And, and in some cases, they're, they're a little bit right. A true follower of Jesus Christ obviously knows they have eternal life. But that's not the only direction, okay? That's not the only, that's not only, the only direction is to, to find out the direction of the afterlife. A true Christian has a passion to conform to the image of Jesus Christ every single day. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, hear my words, you need to have a passion to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ every single day. You need to be, you have a desire to be like him, okay, every single day. So my first question I'd like you to write down is, what's one thing that you can do today, tomorrow, to become more like Jesus? One thing that you can do. So write that down. What's one thing that I can do to become more like Jesus? A Christian also has an intimate relationship with Jesus and is not just religious. There is a big difference between being religious and having a relationship with Jesus Christ, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. When you have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, you want to know him. How can you conform to the image of Christ? How can you be like him if you don't know him? Intimate relationships are based on people getting to know each other. When you were dating or courting or whatever, your husband or your wife, okay, when you were younger, you got to know as much as you could about that person. You got to know what their favorite flowers were so you can send them flowers and what their favorite color was. You can send them the right color flowers, right? What their favorite food was, take them to the right restaurant. You learned as much as you could about that person so you can buy the right Christmas present and the right, and the right birthday present and the right Valentine's Day gift and all those kinds of things because you were, you loved that person and you wanted them to let them know that you loved them and you wanted a more intimate and deeper relationship with them. So you listened to what they said. You studied your spouse. And that's what I'm talking about here. We need to study. We need to know Christ. We need to have an intimate relationship with Jesus, not just being religious. Religion is worthless if you don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. 
You also have, have to have a desire to be obedient to his will over everything else. A desire to be obedient to his will over everything else. No matter what, no matter what anyone else is saying, if you know the word of God says this, if you know the word of God is true, and that's what the word of God is telling you. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what your friends say. It doesn't matter what they say at work. It doesn't matter what they say at school. You're going to hold on to that truth and hold on to and be obedient to the will of God. If you want to be a disciple, you need to follow Christ. What does Christ say? It doesn't matter what everyone else says. It matters what Jesus says. It matters what the word of God says. And that's what you hold on to if you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You also have to have a willingness, and I've, I've touched on this, to learn what he's trying to teach you. You need to have a willingness. I, I mean, this desire, if you will, this, this passion, this willingness to learn, to understand to own, and then a hunger for righteousness, right? I mean, if I want to be like Jesus, then I have to have a hunger for righteousness. Jesus was righteous. Jesus was holy. God says, be holy because I am holy. If we are followers of God, if we're followers of Jesus Christ, then we want to, we want, we have this passion. We have this hunger for righteousness, And then if we don't have that, we need to take a step back and ask ourselves why. We also need to have a revulsion, okay, my, own, my word, for, for, for compromise. It needs some, it, honestly, the idea of compromising the word of God or compromising what you know to be true should make you sick. It should bother you when you, comp, when you fail when people put pressure on you and you compromise, it should bother you to the point where you go back home, you get on your knees and you ask for God to forgive you for, for your weakness and in compromising what you know to be true. There should be this just sickness in your heart, sickness in your gut, sickness in your mind when you compromise what you know God is calling you to do. Because honestly, if you're going to drop everything, if you're going to be at that point where you're willing to drop everything when God calls you, the desire, the willingness, then you need to put your, you need to start practicing now, putting yourself in a position because when he calls you, when he calls you to do whatever it is he's calling you to do, it is not going to be easy. There are going to be mountains to climb. There are going to be giants to slay. There are going to be lions to confront. They're going to be barriers and roadblocks and, and moats and everything else you can think of in order to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. And if you are easily swayed now and give up now and are easily turned now and tossed about by the wind, every wind and doctrine, as the Bible says, then you're not going to be able to accomplish what God has for your life. Okay, so next, a mature disciple of Christ sees what they are capable of, both good and bad. They have the ability to see what they're, they, they, they understand, they have the ability to, to comprehend what they're capable of, both good and bad. This is really important. You are capable of incredible good, of doing incredible good things for God because you're created in the image of God. So that gives you that ability, that innate ability to do incredible things for him. You know, it's amazing, but I have a friend who I, 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 I debate with um, all the time. And one of the things that she said to me was, 
um, that, you know, a, a Christian said to her, um, uh, atheists don't do good things. They can't do good things or whatever. And she was t- she took offense to that. And she argued with me and she said, well, yes, they can, because on the campus of West Virginia University, when they had the shooting or wherever they had that shooting, um, uh, the atheists got together and were doing all these great things. And mm, what do you think of that? And I said, I totally agree with you. And I disagree with the Christian who told you that atheists can't do good things. I said, I would be shocked if in that circumstance, atheists didn't do good things. Why? Because they're created in the image of God, whether they recognize it or acknowledge it or not. They're doing those good things because they're created in the image of God. So they're capable of doing incredible good. Reaching out, caring about other people. So we're capable of doing good things because we're created in the image of God. Now, if we're believers, we have that capability gets amplified because of the Holy Spirit. But we're also capable of evil because of the fall, because we have a sinful nature. We are capable, given the right circumstances, of making some incredibly poor choices, incredibly poor choices. That's why we need to have the ability, guys. This is so important. If, you, if you've never thought about this, this is so important. You need to have the ability to self-reflect. If you're younger, write that down. I need to have the ability to self-reflect. I need to have the ability, knowing that I'm capable of doing some evil things, doing some wrong things, doing some bad things. I'm capable of that. And I need to be self-aware. And so I need to look into my own heart. And once I look into my own heart and I recognize, okay, what I'm doing that's wrong, I need to have the ability to change that. So I need to look into my heart, then I need to be honest with myself. I need to be really honest with myself that these are the things that I'm doing now are the things that I'm capable of. Well, actually, the things that I'm doing now or I have done, I need to recognize that. So I need, to, I need to look into my own heart. I need to be honest with myself. And then I have to have the ability to change what needs to be changed. Once I look into my heart and I'm honest about what I see, I have to have the ability to change what needs to be changed. And that takes self-reflection. Some people don't want to do that. They don't want to look into their own hearts and see that they are capable of making some amazingly poor choices and harming other people. But if we're going to grow, if we're going to mature, we need to recognize that truth. To grow, you have to be honest with yourself. I need to sit down sometimes, look into my own heart and be honest with what I see and make sure I'm making the changes necessary to become more like Jesus Christ. It's just like chipping off the rough edges is what he's doing. It's chipping off the rough edges. But if you, if you, well, I'm fine, everything, I'm not, nothing wrong with me. Um, it's not going to happen. So here's another question. What is one thing that you can change that will help you become more like Christ? Just write that down. What's one thing that I can change I want you to look into your heart, be honest with what you see, and then change. And what's one thing that you can change? You're also capable of growing, like I just mentioned, because you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And I say that, and you're like, yeah, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian. I know that. No, listen to me. You are filled. You are filled with God. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. That makes, that makes you capable of incredible things. Incredible things. Also, you're capable of the miraculous. What did we say last week? Jesus said, 
when I leave here, you'll do even greater things than you've seen me do. You are filled with the Spirit of God. You are, you, 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 are, you are capable of the miraculous. You're capable of furthering the kingdom of God because the blood of Christ flows through you, if you will. De- Jesus' death on the cross, the power of the resurrection flows through your veins. So you're capable of the miraculous. You're capable of furthering the kingdom of God because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. I can do amazing things. I can do miraculous things, not because of who I am, but because of who Jesus Christ is and how he works through me. You're also capable because of the way that you were shaped, all right, or designed, but shaped for ministry. Your shape for ministry. Your shape, S-H-A-P-E. Your shape stands for your spiritual gifts, right? Your abilities, right? Your personality, your, your experiences, so you got your spirit, your, your, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your ability, your personality, and your, uh, your, I'm going backwards. Yeah, your personality and your experiences. Your shape for ministry. If you understand how you were shaped by God, and you understand that you take your shape and fit it into the body of Christ, you understand what you're capable of becoming and what you're capable of doing. And if you'd like to find out your shape for ministry, we have our Discovering Grace Chapel classes starting October 1st. Our, our shape, understanding your shape for ministry is our 301 class. And you want to be a part of that. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, you need to understand your shape. You're also capable because you're a part of, and we just touched on this, the body of Christ. He, th- hear me out, okay? You're a part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the body. That alone should give you comfort. That alone should give you enthusiasm. That alone should inspire you that you're a part of the body of Christ and Christ is the head. But then, not only that, you bring your shape, you bring your uniqueness to the table in the church, in the body of Christ, but you're surrounded by other people who are bringing their shape. And we come together as the body of Christ. And if you realize how powerful you become, I have dreams and I have visions that God has given me that would last me two lifetimes. And I realize that there, there, are, there are things that God calls me to do that I am not capable of doing. But I am capable of doing it when I bring it into the body of Christ and I'm surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ who have who are other parts of the body and they bring their uniqueness to the table. Then I'm able to accomplish everything that God has for me. I am capable because I belong to the body of Christ. And every single one of you belong to the body of Christ. You say, well, you know, you talked about that you know, last week, too. I, I mean, be honest with you. Um, I, I'm, I'm not very significant. You know, I was talking to someone before, after, um, actually before first service, and they had an injury to their hand. And we're standing back there talking. They said, it's amazing. You hurt one finger on your hand, and it's hard to start your car. It's hard to drive. It's hard to do this and pick up your fork and everything. You, you, you know, you don't realize, the older you get, the more you realize whenever a part is not working, how important that part really is, right? You think the pinky, oh, big deal, until you hurt your pinky. Ah, oh, my thumb, I got another one, until you hurt your thumb. Your toe, big deal, right? Until you hurt your toe. Until it's not there, until you can't use it. Internally, the same thing. 
Everything, your tooth, for goodness sake, you're missing a tooth or you have a sore tooth and you can't get to the dentist for two days. And you know how important that tooth is when it's working effectively, right? And how it affect, negatively affects you when you don't have access to it. You are a part of the body of Christ, which makes you capable of incredible things, which makes you capable of incredible growth. So what do I do if I've been a Christian for years and not taken advantage of the opportunities that were presented to me? You're sitting here, you've been a Christian for years, and you have not taken advantage of the opportunities that God has given you to grow. Well, let me answer the question by looking into the life of Peter, into the life of of Peter. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, we read this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowded around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, um, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But I'm a fisherman. We haven't haven't caught anything. Ah, But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Peter was doing what he did best fish. He was a fisherman, probably a darn good one. Okay. So Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was using this everyday event to try to teach Peter some spiritual lessons. All right. Some spiritual lessons. Peter actually thought that he knew fishing, how to fish better than Jesus. That's basically what he's saying there. Master, we've been fishing all night, blah, blah, blah. He thought he knew how to fish better than Jesus, which begs the question to us, do we think we know better than God what is best for our lives? Do I think I know better what's for, uh, than God than what's best for my life? Do you think you know better than God what's best for your life? I want you to, I want you to just kind of think about that for a second. What part of your life are you not willing to give over to God? Write that down. What part of my life am I not willing to give over to God? Some people don't even write that down because they probably have a whole list. What part of my life am I not willing to give over to God? So write that down. While we look at some lessons that we can learn from Peter's encounter with Jesus. So what are some lessons that we can learn for our own spiritual journey? as we take our own spiritual journey. Number one, look a little deeper. 
Look a little deeper. Sometimes the point of the lesson is not what you think. You know, Jesus, I, I will raise my hand on this one. God speaks to my heart. God shows me something. I think I got it. I'm all, oh, yeah, yeah, I got it, Lord. And I start running what? And he wants me to go this way. I'm running this way. I've got it. I've got it all taken care of. I think I know what God was saying, but that's not what he was saying. I only find it out later when I slow down, stop and begin to listen. It wasn't this whole thing wasn't about fishing at all. It wasn't about fishing. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Thanks for the fishing lessons, Jesus. I got this. Thanks for the lesson in fishing, Lord. (laughs) He's a nice guy, but I got this. That wasn't the point. So here's here's the point. When do you tell God, I got this? Be honest with yourself. When do you tell God, I got this? At work, in your business? You're a businessman or woman, right? And you're a good one. Oh, you're a darn good one. You close those deals. So why would you pray before that? Why would you pray before you go to work? Why would you pray when you're trying to close that deal? Why would you pray and ask God for why? Because you got this, right? You got this. Here's another one. This relationship. You're, you're dating someone. You're really, really getting close to someone. And you don't, you're not really talking to God about it. Because you, you know why? You got this. The Word of God has all kinds of advice. The Word of God will tell you who and who not to date, right? But you don't have to look into dating relationships when it comes to who you're going to choose because they're your soulmate and you got this. I got this. My problems, I got them. I got some problems, but they're not, they don't rise to the occasion of really going to God and taking them before God because I got this. I, I, I got it. This wasn't, honestly, this wasn't about fishing. You need to dig a little deeper because sometimes it's not what you think. When God tries to teach you something through an event in your life, it's not what you think. So let's dig a little deeper. Number two, you will never grow if you don't obey. You will never grow if you don't obey. You need to ask yourself, if, if, I, if God calls me to stand... And no one else will stand with me. Will I still stand? If God's word is true and God's word says something clearly and your Christian friends tell you, oh, but culture's changed. These things have changed. And I was, I was reading online and this new theologian, Joe Baloney, was saying this about this and the other thing. So the greatest theologians of all time throughout history don't agree with Joe Baloney, but he said it online and now culture's changing. So all your Christian friends are doing all these things. And are you willing to be obedient to God regardless of what culture says or your friends think? or what? doesn't matter what the latest book has told you. Are you willing to be obedient? Simon Peter said this, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. I've been fishing all night, uh, yeah, all the, but he was smart enough. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. The lesson becomes clearer when we act in obedience. You may not know why God is asking you to do a certain thing, you, you need to keep moving forward even when you can't see or understand what God is doing. You may not be able to understand now what God is calling you to do. You may not be able to understand why God is calling you to give this person up or to do this certain thing, but you know he is. 
And you need to be obedient to him. Even when you don't understand the why sometimes, you need to be obedient to him. Because down the road, he may give you the reason why. And in in eternity, he will give you the reason why. But when the word of God speaks, we need to be obedient to the word of God. And that, that helps the lessons become clearer when we're obedient. Number three. You will never grow unless you study the life of Jesus Christ. You will, you will not grow. You will at least be stunted terribly in your growth. Before you can obey, you need to know what to obey. You say, oh, yeah, I hear you, Pastor. I'm going to start obeying. What are you going to start obeying? You can't obey if you don't know what to obey. You need to study the word of God. You need to study the life of Jesus, but you need to know the word of God. You need to know it. That's so important. And that's why I keep encouraging you that's Discover Grace Chapel class in October, October the 1st, 101, 201, 301, 401, 501. It will help you understand what you're supposed to obey. What does the word of God say? How can I grow in my walk with Jesus Christ so that I can be more obedient? Number four, you will never grow if you can't admit you're wrong. You will never, you will not grow, you'll be stunted in your growth if you cannot admit that you're wrong. Verse eight says this, when Simon Peter saw this, when it finally realized what was going on, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. It's simple. No humility, no growth. No humility, no growth. You know what? You say, well, I know people are, they're kind of arrogant, whatever else, and they have the biggest churches and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you, I can grow a giant church, but not grow. Personally. I can grow. I, I can, I, you, can, you, can, you can grow a huge business, make tons of, but, but not grow. God's not concerned. I say this all the time. He's not going to ask me how many people were in my church when I get to heaven. It's not going to be a question. He's not going to ask you, man, your business, you grew your business to an amazing. Tell me all about that. He's going to know about, he wants to know about your personal growth. You can grow a giant church. You can grow a Fortune 500 company and not grow and mature. No humility, no growth. That is so important for us to understand. Okay, so as we close out here, I want to get even more specific. If we are going to grow, we need a plan. Let me lay out just a couple of quick things. Some of my recaps I made a couple of quick things. Number one, number one, you need to get connected and you need to stay connected. We talked about that last week. You need to get connected and you need to stay connected. If you want to grow, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another, right? A, 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 a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken, right? When we're standing back to back with each other, we can, we, can, we can defend each other. We can stand up under a lot of pressure if we stand together. Get connected to the body of Christ and stay connected to the body of Christ. To grow, you need help. You cannot, you, you, can, you can grow alone, but again, you'll be stunted in your growth. Number two, get on a regular reading schedule. Read, read, read the Word of God. Read it, read it, read it. I, I don't, this is where, this is an area I think we're so lacking in. It's why we're struggling so much, I think, in, in, in Christianity. 
because, and, and hear me out, I'm not criticizing you, don't take this personally, but Christians today are, are spiritually illiterate. They're illiterate. I don't know how else to say it. I, 20 years ago, I'd sit in my office and someone would be doing something. I'd sit down and break my Bible out and I would say to the Christian, okay, um, you're doing this. And let me just turn to John. Let me turn to 1 Corinthians. Let me turn, let me turn to the Old. Let me, let me read you something. Number one, they don't know. And then number two, they argue with me now. Well, you know, I know it says that, but I feel, I just feel, and I, you know, I, I just feel like God is, well, no, I'm sorry. God can't be telling you something other than what the Word of God says. But we get ourselves into a mess because we're spiritually illiterate. We don't know what the Bible says and we get down a path. And once we're down that path, we want to stay on that path. And so we argue and say, well, I know, but, you know, I just feel we are spiritually illiterate. Read, 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 get on a regular reading schedule. Five minutes, I don't care, 10 minutes, whatever it is, start reading and you'll start growing. Number three, serve. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Teach and apply. Serve, teach and apply. If you don't apply, okay, you will not own it. If you don't own it in your heart and in your mind, you will not grow. Number four, see every part of your day as time spent with God. See every part of your day as time spent with God at work, at school, on the field, at home, when you're driving. See every part of your day as time spent with God. We talked about this, right? Being in the presence of God. Live your life in the presence of God. That means everything you do, you do in the presence of God. When you're at work, you're at work on purpose, right? Right? You're living out your life at work. When you're at home, you're, you're at home on purpose. When you're at school, you're in school on purpose. You're living out your life in every area according to God's design for you. You're living in the presence of God. God teaches us, my friends, through everyday experiences. Read your Bible. Jesus teaches people. He goes to farmers. He talks about, what does he talk about? Vines and seeds and branches. And why does he do that? That's part of their everyday life. If you don't apply God to your everyday life, you're not going to grow. Last, and I'm going to repeat myself, go through 101 through 501 in Discovering Grace Chapel, those classes, go through 101 through 501, you will grow spiritually. Get involved in a men's Bible study. Get involved in a women's Bible study. Get involved in a life group. Have someone, find someone who is more mature than you are spiritually. Have that person disciple you one-on-one. Not ongoing forever. It doesn't have to be that long. Maybe for three months, maybe for six months. People will commit to three or six months. They may not commit forever, but they will. if you say to someone spiritually mature, can you disciple me at some point in the next year for three months? where there may be a little lull in your time. Can we just sit down for three months for breakfast or, you know, for dinner or something and you disciple me for those three months or five months or six months? But you need to get that as part of your life. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to write down one commitment that you're going to make to grow. What is, what is one, write that down. What is one commitment that I can make to grow? Write that down. Bow your heads with me. Father God, Lord, we know that sometimes we fall short. That sometimes we're not growing at the pace that you want us to grow. And we ask you to forgive us for that, Lord. But today's a new day. Today can be a new start. I pray, Lord God, 
that you would help every single one of us, wherever we are in our spiritual journey, to apply these principles to our lives. That we would answer these questions, Lord God, that you've asked us this morning. That you would help us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ, each and every day. May we grow into his likeness. May we be holy because you are holy. May we try our best to live a righteous life because that's what you call us to. So God, help each one of us to grow. Help each one of us to learn. Help each one of us to apply what we're learning. And God, we know, we know that through all of that, we will build your kingdom. We will become the people that you've designed us to be. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in advance of what you're going to do in our lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Have a great week.